Welcome to the Carter Report and thanks for joining us. Our topic today, the true church, is going to answer the question, why are there so many churches? Is it God's will that we have such a multiplicity of Christian churches and sects? And today we are going to show you from the Bible the identification marks of God's true church. The Carter Report investigates the mysteries of the past as it seeks to interpret amazing predictions concerning our future. John Carter, scholar, writer, and traveler, invites you to join him as he unlocks mankind's most valuable treasure. The true church of Jesus Christ is standing very solidly upon two mighty pillars. Number one, the holy faith of Jesus Christ. Number two, the holy law of Almighty God. You hear that? Now listen, when Jesus Christ founded his church, all, A-double-L, all of those early Christians, Jesus, of course, who was the leader of the Christians, all of the apostles, and then, my friend, that man born out of time, the great apostle Paul, all of those people kept the Sabbath. Every one of them. I want you to come now to the book of Acts, and it talks about this. Come over here to page 1081, Acts chapter 16, verse 13. We are going to see what day of the week they kept. Acts chapter 16 and uh, verse 13. And here it talks about the example of those blessed disciples. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. Notice what it says. This is not the teaching of any church. My friend, it's the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. The Bible tells me that those holy disciples back there in the days of the early Christian church, they, my friend, kept the seventh day Sabbath. That's what the Bible says. Now come back with me a few pages to Acts chapter 13, verse 42, down to 44, and it's almost the same story. Notice it. Because we're going to talk in a moment about the great apostasy and how God is working to restore the truth. And when the Jews, verse 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath who did the begging, friend? Did you hear that? The Bible says the Gentiles. Some people say to me, but the Jews were the only ones who kept the Sabbath. I want to tell you, folk, it wasn't just the Jews. The Bible says the Gentiles. And I want to say right here and now to any person who's walked into this meeting for the first time and you're hearing these things, I want you to know that God wants us to open our minds to the truth through the Holy Spirit. I know I've spoken to so many audiences and I know, my friends, so many people are going to shout out and say, Amen, 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 until they hear something that contradicts them. Do you know what the mark of a true Christian is? 
The mark of a true Christian is a man who says when he reads the Bible and he finds out that he's wrong, the mark of a true Christian is when he says, thank you, Lord, for the truth. I didn't know it before, Lord, but now I know the truth and I'm going to walk in the truth. Do you want to know the mark of a man who's not really a Christian, who doesn't love Jesus? He reads through the Bible and he finds out some truth, maybe the truth in baptism. I don't know, my friend. There are so many truths, but he finds out a certain truth. And when he sees that truth, he says, I don't want to hear that anymore. I'm going to close my ears. I'm going to run away. You know what that is doing? That is running away from Jesus. Jesus Christ, my friend, because Jesus is the truth. And if we love Jesus, we are going to love every part of his truth, don't you think? Yeah, of course we will. That's what the Bible says. Now, those people back there were Sabbath keepers. Come with me now over here to Matthew 12, page 943, Matthew 12. Matthew, Mark, I know somebody may be saying somebody here tonight for the first time, but this is so new. You know what they said about Jesus? They said, he is teaching new things. They said, we don't want to hear what this man says. He's teaching new things. And so they put him on a cross. What a tragedy. What a tragedy for them. Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 8. Look at verse 8. Jesus is speaking, he says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That makes the Sabbath the Lord's Day. You see that? That makes the Sabbath the Lord's Day. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? They were looking to find fault with the only good man this world had ever seen. That's what people do when they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. They look to find fault. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not lay hold on it, lift it out? He said, you look after your sheep, don't you? Oh, how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, he said, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. It was restored as whole as the other. Listen to me, my Protestant Roman Catholic friends. You may not have known this before you came to this meeting. The Sabbath day is the day of liberation. You hear that? It is the day when we are liberated. And every time we go to church, Back, I had a church last year that had a great steeple and a bell in the steeple. And every time the bell rang, the bell said, come to church, come to church, hear the word of God, come and be liberated, come and find Christ, come and find peace. That's what the Sabbath is for. This idea that says the Sabbath is a yoke of bondage is absolute humbug. You hear that? The people who say it's humbug have never kept it. They remind me of the atheist. And uh, the atheist says, I don't believe in prayer. And you say to the atheist, have you ever prayed? And he says, no. The atheist has got no right to an opinion on prayer. 
He's never prayed. What does he know about it? My friend, no man can talk about the beauty of the Sabbath until he's kept the Sabbath. And Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and he kept it. And it's a day of liberation. The Bible says the rest day. The Bible says the blessed day. The Bible says the best day. And for lots of you folks sitting here tonight, it's the test day. It's the test day because you've been keeping Sunday so long. And you know it's true. You've kept it so long, it's down in your bones and God understands. But do you know what God wants to do? God wants to come into this meeting tonight by the Holy Spirit and God wants to transform our minds. You see? God wants to change us. And for many of us here tonight, it is going to take a spiritual resurrection and God will have to get right down inside us and turn us upside down. And that's what we're praying for tonight. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Those early Christians loved Jesus. They kept the commandments of God. They kept the Lord's day the holy day of liberation. But listen to me. After the apostles died, there came the great apostasy. There came the time when the man of sin arose in the church. Come over here to page 1087. Come on, over here, 1087, Acts chapter 20. What I love about the Bible, it is so powerful. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Look at the texts. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, please. Acts, and the great apostle Paul is talking to the church. He says, I know this, that after my departure shall savage wolves come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking what does it say, friend? Perverse things. The Bible says that after the death of the apostles, men would come into the church and they would preach heresies. Perverse things. I want you to come now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Come over here to 2 Thessalonians, page 1158 in this copy of the New King James Version. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and 8. And here it talks about the setting up of the great papal apostasy. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, verse 8. I'm praying in a special way for everybody here tonight. I want you to know that. As I look out over this audience, I'm praying for you. I've got to know many of you. And I'm praying for you tonight. Please notice the text. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This, this power that would be against the law of God. Then it says, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume, the Bible says, with the breath of his mouth 
and destroy with the brightness of His coming. And verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord's return, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Let's come here to the blackboard. The Bible says that God founded His church. The church was founded on Jesus Christ. The church was founded on the commandments of God. The Bible says that men would arise from within the church and the Bible says they would speak perverse things. That's what it says, my friend, in the, in the Greek. The Bible says they would speak perverse foreign things, wicked things, things that weren't taught in the Holy Word of God. That's what the Bible says. And Paul says, there would be a falling away. Where am I going to put that now? Let's put it somewhere here. The Bible says, there would come in the Christian church a falling away from the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Can you see that? The church, my friend, that started off beautiful, the bride of Christ, that church, my friend, would become ensnared by the teachings of paganism and that great church of Jesus Christ would fall away from the truth. Let me get another piece of chalk. I'm going to talk about the perverse things that came into the church. Into the church of Jesus Christ in the Dark Ages came images. The Bible said, no images. But images came into the church and the church of Rome is still filled with them because she's never had a reformation. There came, my friend, infant baptism. And the Baptists will say with me tonight, Amen. Infant baptism. All of the Baptists down here in the Bible Belt know that infant baptism is a teaching of Rome. That's why they don't do it. The sprinkling of babies and the sprinkling of, of even adults. That's not taught in the Bible. The Bible teaches baptism by immersion. And so we can write here another perverse thing. Sprinkling of babies, sprinkling of adults. Purgatory. Oh, you say, how perverse is that? That's about as perverse as you can get because there's not a whisper of purgatory in the Bible. It is simply, my friend, an invention of men. Uh, the immortality of the soul. The immortality of the soul. You don't read of that in the Bible either. Also, my friend, you don't read of Sunday keeping. That also came into the Christian church. And we could put up a list there as long as the blackboard, including righteousness by works, where people think that they can be saved by what they do, where people think that they are saved by their own works. I want you folk to hear this tonight. I believe that we are saved by works. We are saved by Christ's works. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. 
We believe, my friend, in one great sacrifice. And my friend, that is the very pillar of all Christian belief. And my friend, if you haven't got that straight, you haven't even got to the first rung of the ladder. The Bible says we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. My friend, on that blackboard we could put up the abomination of, of desolation, the mass, an earthly priesthood instead of a heavenly priesthood. And so the church that started so well, the Bible says, fell away from the truth and the Bible says perverse things came into the church of Jesus Christ. Can you see that? Now listen to me. Listen, my Baptist brothers and sisters. Listen, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. Listen, my Adventist brothers and sisters. Listen, my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Listen, my American friends. Bible prophecy says that before the end of time God is going to bring his church back to where it was in the beginning. God is going to restore the truth to the world. Now, last night I spoke on the return of Elijah the prophet. And we prove to you that the return of Elijah the prophet is the coming of a restoration message. The Bible says Elijah is going to come and he will restore all things. The Bible says in the last days God is going to restore his truth to the world. I want you to come over here to Acts chapter 3. Verse 21, Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. We could take a dozen passages, but this will do. Acts chapter 3. And it's verse 21, I say tonight, thank God for the Holy Scriptures. Where would we be without this book? Acts 3, verse 21. Have you got the text? Hey, have you got the text? You folk ready to go? Okay, stay with me. Acts 3, 21. You folks sitting up the back, nobody's sleeping, you're not allowed to. Verse 21. The Bible says, whom heaven must receive until the times of what? Restoration of all things. Ah, the restoration of all things which God hath spoken by his mouth of all the holy prophets. Listen, friend. Oh, let me get over here again. The Bible says this, that the truth was cast to the ground. We read about this in Daniel 8. We have majored on this in these, in these meetings that have been blessed so wonderfully by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Daniel 8, Daniel 7, the truth cast to the ground. And we've seen it again tonight, perverse things, the falling away, images, infant baptism, sprinkling, purgatory, the mass. 
an earthly priesthood, the papal system, the immortality of the soul, Sunday keeping, righteousness by works, and all of it. But the Bible says, God. The Bible says, God is going to restore. You hear that? God is going to restore how many things? The Bible says, God, have you forgotten already? The Bible says, God is going to restore all things. Those great truths that God gave back there, summed up in the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God is going to purify His church. God is going to have a beautiful bride when Jesus comes. God is not going to have a church, my friend, that is following Antichrist. Did you hear that? God's people, when Jesus comes, are not, my friend, going to be wedded to the doctrines of Antichrist. God is going to have a pure bride. And therefore, the Bible says God is working to restore all things. You hear that? I want to tell you, I want to tell you how God has been working. Come over here to Mark chapter 9, Matthew Mark, Mark chapter 9, I think it is, Mark 9, verse 11, you don't need the page numbers now, Mark chapter 9, verse 11, look at it in the scriptures, you see it there, everybody, Mark chapter 9, you listen to it, Charles, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 11, we had a good offering tonight, we'll be able to pay you, Charles. Mark chapter 9, verse 11. Charles is the man who's sitting on the other end of that camera. Not the gentleman standing here, but the man out in the control room. Mark chapter 9, verse 11. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And we spoke last night about the restoration message. And you folk and most of you here tonight were here last night. The restoration message, my friend, comes in the last days. And I want to talk now a little bit about how God has been restoring the truth of God to this world. And I'm going to tell you now why there have been so many churches. Let's come over here. Let's turn over here. Let's come over here to the blackboard. I'm going to talk now about the Reformation. I'm going to talk about how God raised up the Protestant churches. There, my friend, you have the great church of Rome, and that is the apostasy. The Bible calls it the great apostasy. But several hundred years ago, back in the early 1500s, there was an earnest Roman Catholic priest who became dissatisfied and his name, you know his name, don't you? Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther, my friend, as a boy, had never really seen the Scriptures. The Bible was a book that was chained in the cathedrals. People could hardly read and write. Most people were illiterate. Even the priests could hardly read and write. Most of the priests had never seen a Bible. Martin Luther got a copy of the Scriptures. And as Martin Luther started to read the Bible, Martin Luther got some shocks because he discovered that the church, the so-called Christian church, wasn't the church that was taught in here. 
As Martin Luther read the Bible, he discovered the great truth of righteousness by faith. Most Christians today do not understand it. Did you know that? Martin Luther, my friend, was climbing up the Schuyler Sanctuary in Rome, trying to work his way home to heaven, when all of a sudden a voice spoke to his conscience, like the voice of Mount Sinai, and said, The just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther, we're told, got up and said, Could it be so? Could it be so? And he went back and he continued to study particularly the book of Romans that I consider to be the finest book ever written. The book of Romans. And as Martin, and I'm going to give a series of meetings in the church on the book of Romans, the greatest book ever written. And as, as my friend, he read the book of Romans, Martin Luther discovered Jesus Christ. Martin Luther discovered the truth of the cross. He discovered that a man is made right with God, not by works, not by penance, not by prayers, not by going to church, not by keeping the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ and His cross. And when Martin Luther discovered this truth, my friend, it shook the very crown off the Pope's head. Martin Luther... As he read the Bible, discovered something else too. Martin Luther discovered not only the truth about Christ, Martin Luther discovered the truth about the Antichrist. And as Martin Luther searched the pages of the books of Revelation and the books of Daniel and the other sayings of Jesus and the apostles, Martin Luther said, I believe that the Antichrist is the Pope of Rome. That's what Martin Luther taught. The Reformation, the great Protestant Reformation, was based upon two great discoveries. The discovery of the true Christ and the discovery of the Antichrist, you see. 